Hi, welcome to the Romance Me podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. We'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan. Let your zero fucks flag fly. (laughs) Today we'll be discussing Broken Dove by Kristen Ashley. Apollo is still grieving the tragic loss of his wife, Ilsa, when he learns there is a parallel world where everyone in his world has a twin. He arranges for the twin of his wife to be brought to his world, hoping that, in this way, he can have his wife again. Ilsa is on the run from her abusive husband, Apollo's twin. When she is brought to Apollo's world, she isn't what he expected. And Ilsa doesn't want to be a constant reminder of what he lost. However, evil is on the horizon, and Apollo must keep Ilsa close to keep her safe. We have a content warning. This book has scenes depicting domestic violence, emotional abuse, and child loss. There will be spoilers beyond this point. So, Erica, how does the story start? The story starts with Apollo being woken up in his bedroom by Valentine, who, from the earlier books, is the meddling... Uh, which who helps transport all these women this way and that way. Yeah, we do like her, or at least we think we like her. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not sure at this. I, I'm not sure how I feel about her now. That's what I'm saying. At this point, at the start of the story, we think we kind of like her. How we feel at the end <laughs> may differ. Oh, foreshadowing. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> <laughs> But Valentine wakes Apollo up and says to him, if you want to meet the Ilsa of my world, you better come now. Get your ass out of bed. We got to go. Yeah. He's like, what is going on? And he says, the Apollo of my world has found her. In the prior books, we've kind of had like this little side bit leading up to this book where um, Apollo learned that there was an Ilsa in the other world and he paid valentine to find her and bring her to his world and he also learned that ilsa's married to his twin in that world and his twin is abusive asshole yes which is saying something given the series i feel (laughs) yes (laughs) so (laughs) he rolls out of bed and gets ready to go and then we switch to ilsa's point of view and we learn that she's been on the run for three years from Paul, her Apollo, the Apollo from her world. I would hesitate to say it's her Apollo because, (laughs) (laughs) again, he's not a very nice guy. No, they've been, I think they're married for like a decade at the start of the story. And you know that he's physically abusive with her. She actually, I think, actually comments about it as she's trying to hide from him because he's found her. She was on the run. She's got her gun ready. Like, she's ready to defend herself. She has 911 on the phone. She's crouched and scared. And and that's how we meet Ilsa. Yeah. And a man comes in her room and she shoots that guy. Thinking it's Paul, (laughs) but it isn't. So, oops. Yeah, she realized it's not Paul because Paul would never run. (laughs) Except on a treadmill. (laughs) But then Paul comes in and he starts threatening her. He grabs her. He pistol whips her. And then Apollo. Oh, yeah. He pistol whips her. It's it's scary. You're kind of wishing she'd shot him, but 
I guess. Yeah, she should have shot him, too. Why didn't she shoot him, too? Because I think she isn't able to because he gets the gun from her so quickly and then pistol whips her. I guess. I don't know. I mean, he was across the room. She could have shot him. She could have. I I think, like, you know, know, where is it? Fight or flight where she's, like, kind of frozen. It's fight, flight, or frozen. And I think she's just frozen in fear. That is the sense that I got. That's true. I mean, she does freak out from having shot the first guy. Yeah, I mean, it's... Who happens to be one of Paul's men, so... She values human life. Yeah, she's... (laughs) Fictional human life, she values it. Yeah, she's kind of aghast at herself, like, how could I have done that? Yep. But anyway, (laughs) Paul is is beating on her. Yes. And then we hear this roar of unadulterated rage. Enter Apollo of Fantasy World. Yes. And a whole bunch of green mist along with Valentine. But I don't think Ilsa's really aware of Valentine. Yeah, she's not. But she notices what Apollo looks like and that he's wearing a romance cover outfit. Yep. He's got the britches and the cape. He's the hero. Valentine, like, makes a comment. Um, Apollo, that thing in his hand is a weapon. Because <laughs> Apollo doesn't know what a gun is. And so Apollo cuts off Paul's hand with his sword. Ilsa thinks she's delusional because she sees two Pauls. But then she realizes that Paul's hand got cut off. And so she kind of realizes that she's not hallucinating. She's having a sick, disgusting dream instead. Yeah, she also thinks romance novel (laughs) Apollo decapitates Paul as they're leaving or before they left. She hears a thud of a body hitting the floor, but she doesn't hear a thud of a head. But she thinks that that's possibly what happened. And then Valentine says, we must leave right now. And so they all get green misted away back to Apollo's house on his world. I think they get misted right back up to Apollo's bedroom because he puts her in his bed and says, do you need a doctor? And she's like, no, like I've been, I've had worse than pistol whipping before. Yeah, he doesn't stick around for very long. Like he leaves pretty shortly thereafter. Of course, he's he's doing the whole like grumpy expression thing. And so she's, she's a little like, I don't know if he's mad at me. So it raises that sort of thing. But he leaves shortly thereafter. And then it's just Ilsa and Valentine having a conversation. And unbeknownst to Ilsa, Valentine has drugged the wine. So as they're having this conversation and Valentine is trying to you know, get her to understand what has just happened, that she's in another world, that he's not her Apollo. She quickly adjusts to that. Like, no, no, he's not mine. Yeah. Then as they're having that conversation, she, I think she just feels really tired. I don't think she starts slurring her words or anything, but she quickly catches on, hopefully because it hasn't happened to her before, but she quickly catches on like, did you drug my wine? Which is comforting. Yeah. Come on, Valentine. We like you. Don't do these things. (laughs) Yeah, Valentine throws up a bunch of exposition at this point, like tells her about the Ilsa of this world who died and that's why Apollo brought her here. You know, all the stuff. Ilsa's brought up to speed pretty quickly. She does realize that she's been drugged and her words do slur at that point. Mm. 
But then she basically passes out. Yeah, she passes out and then she wakes up and I think she wakes up in Apollo's arms. Yeah, she wakes up to Apollo cuddling with her. Which? Which, okay. (laughs) Apollo keeps calling her my dove and Ilsa says, I'm not your dove. And he goes, yes, you are. And then he says, a dove has great beauty, but is easily broken. And Ilsa thinks, that was nice and all, poetic even, though a wee bit scary. And last of all, true. Yeah. I don't know. And then Apollo says to her, I couldn't save my Ilsa, but I can save you. But we'll talk later. Yeah, it's a little strange. You kind of wonder if he really understands that she isn't the other Ilsa that he was married to and had kids with and everything else. You don't know if he really gets the message because when he talks a short time later to some of his guys, he is like, that's my wife. It's like, no. Yeah. No, she's not. Like, But he's he's ready to commit right in that moment, which is a little intense. Yeah, he's taken responsibility for her. You know, he's decided that he couldn't save his Ilsa, but he can save this Ilsa. And so he's going to bring her to his world and protect her and give her all the nice things and everything. In a kind of vague ownership kind of way. Yeah, it's very much like, okay, I'm adopting this Ilsa. Yeah. (laughs) This is my pet dove. (laughs) (laughs) I will keep her in a golden cage. Yeah, I I kind of, right? Oh, no, you're 100% accurate. So the next morning she wakes up and he's like, okay, well, we're all going to travel because I got to get you, I got to go pick up my kids from school. Well, he's not planning on taking her right away, I don't think, because he doesn't want to have her around the kids. Right. He says, I'm leaving now and you'll travel with my men and that way I can prepare my kids for you. And she's, I would say, not thrilled about this, about the whole kids thing. And you find out more why later. Apollo lives in Floridia, which is where everyone speaks basically French. Which is where Ilsa is from. Ilsa of that world, I think. Yeah, and he assumes that this Ilsa can also speak French without confirming it. And then he leaves her to go collect his children with maids who just speak French. And she can't communicate with anybody. And he's gone like just gone, gone, gone. And then his men show up and they speak Valerian, which is English. But it's like he he just abandons her. He's like, okay, well, here you go. You you can live here. I guess if you're feeling more sensitive to Apollo, you'd be like, well, he he doesn't want to be around the reminder of the wife that you loved. He's very hot and cold throughout the story. Like when he first rescues her, he's all cuddly and affectionate. And then the next day he's just cold. Yeah. And it, it happens like this throughout the story. And right before he leaves, he says to her, be careful what you wish for. You may get it and not want it. Which Ilsa interprets as her. Yes. I sort of was thinking like, yes, there's the get it and not want it kind of thing, meaning her... But also, I don't know, like the way, maybe it was the way Hooper narrated it, but it also sounded like a little threatening, Mm. like get it and not want it and maybe hurt it, you know, which given her background 
it wasn't so much explored, so maybe maybe that wasn't the intended meaning. Well, it could sound threatening to her. I mean, she's just coming off of being abused by her husband that she's been on the run from and then kidnapped, essentially. Mm-hmm. No, I would think most things probably sound abusive to her or threatening or dangerous. Yeah, especially when he says it with that blank look on his face, because at that point he's withholding from her. Yes. Like the night before, he had been affectionate and tender and kind, and then sort of he turned into like a robot. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't so much that he was affectionate when they first arrived. It was more like he was affectionate when they woke up in bed together, and then he was suddenly gone. Like, oh, by the way, I'm leaving, and I might not want yeah. you. Bye. I'm leaving to get my children. <laughs> Bye. By the way, you can't speak to anybody And neither here. can he. Like, he doesn't speak Floridian <laughs> at all, but the staff is just like, no, no, they just nod their heads and go along with it. Like, they don't speak Valyrian, and he doesn't speak (laughs) Floridian, but it all sort of works out, I guess. Probably because his guys speak... That's funny. I didn't pick up on that. (laughs) Speak a little bit of Floridian, and they kind of, after he leaves, go, okay, this is what he meant. (laughs) That's how I imagine it has to happen in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But she tries talking to the maids and stuff, and they all speak Floridian, and they just smile and look at her, and they're like... I don't know. I don't know what you're saying. Yeah, Sorry. she quickly picks up on Here's that. Here's some kick-ass clothes. <laughs> some wonderful Basically. underwear. Oh, yes. The glorious underwear. The... <laughs> Although she doesn't say glorious. I forget what she says. And then we find out why Apollo having children bothers her so much. Because she's alone and she's just staring at the view. And she's just thinking. And so Apollo's children are named Kristoff and Elon. Ilsa's thinking to herself, I'd never name my kids that, but Paul would. And then she's thinking about how she had had two children that she lost while she was pregnant. So the first child, she was seven months pregnant and Paul abused her physically and she lost the the boy. And then um, she miscarried with her girl. So we learn pretty early on that she's realizing that If everyone has a twin in this world, then Apollo's children are probably the twins of the children she lost. And that really, really gets to her. Yeah, she definitely puts up the barriers there, which you can understand why. That she doesn't necessarily want to put herself in the position to be a part of that family unit. That that would be difficult. So after this realization, she then... Gets to wear her fabulous, kick-ass, whatever, clothing. (laughs) It's just, it's too much. Well, after he leaves, she's hanging out. Apollo's men show up. Uh, The one that knocked on the door is Derek. I guess there's eight guards because he says myself and the seven men. Yeah, there's a lot of people. Ashley sort of does that where it's just a list of names. One of them I'm thrilled to know is named Gaston which I just pulled straight from Disney to imagine him. Yes. <laughs> but Ilsa realizes that Derek recognizes her and she's like, oh, you also knew yeah. the other Awkward Ilsa. moment. And she's just fresh off like this whole thing with Apollo where he's like, yeah, you look like her, you sound like her, and it's physically painful for me to be in the same room <laughs> with you. You know? And so 
She's very, very hyper aware of how her appearance affects others. Yeah, she doesn't want to make anyone feel awkward or I would say make anybody angry at her. You know, she's constantly trying yeah. to make everybody feel better and and all of that. Yeah, but she tells the guard like, okay, well, I'll just stay out of your way until it's time to leave. I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. Um, so she's kind of avoiding the guards. A little bit at first. And then later, later is when the prostitute shows up. She she looks out the window and she sees this gorgeous woman wearing a ostentatious va-va-voom yes. outfit. She's like, everyone will know what this lady does for a living based on what she's wearing. And she realizes that this woman's come here before and enjoyed having Apollo for a customer because she looks a little sad that Apollo isn't there. And I think she even gives like a little snarky smile or something like that to Ilsa. Yeah, she sees Ilsa at the window and she's just like, hmm. (laughs) Which I think if I remember correctly, I think Ilsa didn't like the idea that Apollo, I guess, paid for a prostitute, but I don't see the big deal. It's not like that's her husband. Although the lines get a little more blurry with this couple because they actually were married to their twins and have memories of that. So with the previous couples, there was more of a, I don't understand why you're suddenly latching on. Whereas with this couple, it seems like more understandable why they would latch on to one another. Yeah. I don't know that she was upset that he had a prostitute. It If you... Look at the text. She's upset that she's been sleeping in the same bed that he'd had the prostitute in. Oh, maybe that's what it is. That kind of makes sense a little bit. And But then it goes to a part where she like checks herself out and kind of compares herself to the prostitute. Yeah. She concludes that he doesn't want to sleep with anybody that reminds him of his dead wife. Yeah. Now she does. she does judge him. For sleeping yes. with a prostitute. But it's more like, oh, he's that kind of guy versus, oh, he cheated on me, which is what happens in previous books. Okay. Like, oh, he sleeps with a prostitute? Ew. Gotcha. You are you are unclean, buddy. Yeah, she's not <laughs> sex worker positive. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but if you're a sex worker, then as long as it's your choice, then that's fine. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Again, it's agency and consent. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And it looks like this woman has really done well for herself. She's dressed really nicely. She looks really healthy. She seems to like her customers. I mean... Good for her. And it's actually kind of funny because later in the book, they discuss uh, sex work a bit. And Apollo tells Ilsa that sex workers are... You know, they ha- they're really good. Like, he doesn't, like, there's no problem with them in his world. Yes, the attitude is supposed to be that they're a more sexually liberated culture than we are. Supposedly. I don't always see signs of that in these stories, but that's, I guess, the idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least you're not going to get looked down on for having sex with someone, essentially. No, which is good. It should not be that way. So Ilsa comes to the decision that, you know what, this is her chance to have a new life you know she's in this world she's free from paul apollo's gone 
she can go off and do her own thing. Yes, because she looks at the unpolluted countryside and says, yes, I would like to explore. And so she decides she wants to learn how to ride a horse. I think it's necessity because of the travel. And Achilles, who is Apollo's cousin, is one of the guys. And he insists that she needs to learn how to ride a horse before they go on their journey and get comfortable with it before because otherwise it's going to really suck for her on the journey. Yes, it would. (laughs) Her poor backside. (laughs) Yeah, she gets introduced to all the other guys. Achilles tells her that everyone is acting as your guard and will be loyal to you because of Apollo. But if they got to know you, they'd act as your guard for a different reason. And she assumes, oh, because of Ilsa. And he says, no, because of who you are. Yes. And it's about that time that I think they give her the nickname of Maddie and Mm -hmm. she abandons the name Ilsa. So she has this regeneration moment. Yeah, she she's fully embraced. Like I can be a new person. I don't have to be Ilsa anymore. I can be Maddie instead. And she she's happy about it. She is a phoenix rising from the ashes. And just so just so I list them all in case we mentioned them in passing, the guards are Derek, Achilles, Draven, Alec, Hans, Lores, Remy, and Gaston. Woohoo, Gaston. <laughs> I actually had no idea that name was going to come back from the joke that I made in what? Was it the first or third book? I can't even remember anymore. I just think that's so funny. I laughed so much. Sometimes I find myself laughing at this book unintentionally. There's a lot of names and some of these guys you get to know a little bit better than others. I don't know why we have to have all the names, but we do. All the names. (laughs) Basically, all the guys fall in love with her to an extent yeah they're all some degree of smitten pretty early on yeah they're all kind of kind of moony over her um especially Derek. yes he he seems particularly smitten as they travel to meet up with apollo um they take a lot of unscheduled side trips (laughs) because they've basically decided you know what we want her to be happy Let's make her happy. Let's make her smile. Let's make her laugh. Let's let her get used to the world. Yeah, because they get to know a little bit about her background and find out how horribly she was treated before. They do. They become invested in her and want her happy. And because of the abuses that she'd suffered before because of other Apollo, it makes riding a horse a problem because of her ribs. So they're like, well, we're already going to have to take slower routes and or slower modes of transportation and things like that. And she's, meanwhile, very afraid that, oh, no, we're going to delay more. It's going to make Apollo unhappy. And if Apollo's unhappy, what's going to happen? She loves all the travel. She loves all the people. She loves the guys. And she comes to this decision that, you know what, once we meet up with Apollo, I'm going to ask him for a loan and then I'm going to go off and live my life on my own. Yeah, that way he doesn't have to see me. I don't have to potentially get abused. I feel like this is a win-win, she's thinking. (laughs) Yeah, but they get to the hotel and Derek tells her, I'm going to go tell Apollo that you're here. Up until this point, 
all the guys, they're super nice to her. They're super affectionate with her. But they also are very, like, put her in the sister zone, I think, to an extent. You know, even though they're smitten, that she's in the sister zone. Because she's Apollo's woman. Yes. Potentially. But um, Maddie tells Derek that Apollo doesn't want her. And Derek's like, oh, no, I'm sure that's not true. And Maddie's like, no, it is true. He said, you might get what you wish for and then not want it. (laughs) He doesn't want me. You know, and so Derek's like, hmm, I feel like she might be dodging a bullet here. So Derek goes to Apollo to tell him that Maddie is here. He tells Apollo, if you don't want her, I'll have her. Which that goes over very well. And Apollo's like, excuse me? As well as one would expect with someone who's very (laughs) ownership oriented and possession oriented. Uh huh. Uh. And (laughs) I kind of like Derek's idea. (laughs) I do too. I was rooting for him. I knew it wasn't going to work out. I was just like, okay, is is Apollo just going to kill him? What's going to happen? Because we know Apollo's the hero. So poor Derek is not the hero. So he's destined to get the short straw. I know. And Derek says. You left her alone, forlorn, and frightened. She will not be alone. She'll not be frightened. And she'll never be forlorn. Not with me. And Apollo's like, are you saying you have feelings for (laughs) Ilsa? And Derek's like, God, no. I have feelings for Maddie. And Apollo's like, who is Maddie? And Derek says, that's our Ilsa. And Apollo's like, our Ilsa? And he goes, me and the men. Maddie is our (laughs) Ilsa. (laughs) (sighs) and apollo says you speak of my wife so you knew my response before you made your pronouncement you'll not take her she isn't yours to have she's mine and derek says she isn't she's maddie and she's free to do what she wishes with whom she wishes it (laughs) oh derek you haven't read the other books and then later later he says you can't not want her and still have her (laughs) low Apollo says, I could do whatever I gods damn want. I paid for her to be here. She's my wife. I'll see to her and I'll protect her. And Derek makes probably the best point in the book where he says, how? By doing the same thing that Toad of a husband of hers did to her in the other world, Mm -hmm. but abusing her through neglect rather than your fists? Yes. Thank you, Derek. (laughs) Which, yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Derek. I ship Derek and Maddie. I do too. It's destined to sink, but I'm riding that till the end. I'm on that ship, man. (laughs) Derek gets told off and Apollo goes to talk to Maddie. And she comes in and he's just like, God, she looks like her. She smells like her. But she's not her. And he can especially see it like in her eyes because his Ilsa had never known pain, essentially. And Maddie has a lot of shit in her head. (laughs) She's been through a lot. Yeah, like she at one point he raises his hand not to strike her. I forget why he raised his hand, but... He raises his hand and her instinct takes over and she flinches. And I think it's it's things like that where he's like, yeah. no, this is this is not the woman that that I know. Like he's very definite, like the line between who his wife is versus who Maddie is 
at this point. Which is good, I think. And, I mean, really, they both are, I think. Ilsa or Maddie, she has these reactions, like she flinches and things like that, but she doesn't confuse Apollo with Paul. No. She just has been abused. Yeah, I don't I don't think she ever flinches with the guards though. No, she doesn't. Because <laughs> the guards are kind to her. And they're maybe a little more aware of what they're doing. Well the thing too is that the guards are open with her. They talk to her. They want to get to know her. They're interested in her. Apollo is very closed off. He keeps all that stuff buried deep and he doesn't let her see any of what he's feeling for a lot of the story. That is true. And so we get we get snippets like when we're in his head, you know, oh, she's hot. Oh, she's amazing. Oh, you know, all these things. But does she see that? No, she sees a blank face because he's keeping it all in. Yes, he is bottle man or bottled up man. <laughs> <sighs> So Ilsa asks him, or Maddie, I'm just going to call her Maddie at this point. Yeah, I, I feel like she's adopted that name. We should run with it. Yeah, so Maddie asks him for a loan, and she says, you know, I'd like to have some money so I can get set up. I can tell you're pretty loaded, so I would appreciate a loan. I'll definitely pay you back, but I'd really like to be on my way tonight. And if you can't agree to give me a loan, I could always ask Achilles or Derek. <laughs> and at the mention of Derek, he reacts really well. Yeah, he's like, yeah, you and Derek won't be talking to each other for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I have sent him away to the land of cold showers. <sighs> and he says, you are an Ulfer woman and an Ulfer woman doesn't work because that's his house. He's of the house of Ulfer. Yay. <laughs> and she fights back. She's like, no, you listen to me and stop cutting me off. It's rude. You can't tell me what I can and can't do, where I can go and who I can see. Go Maddie. <laughs> She's asserting herself. <laughs> it's good. She is. She tells him she might be a barmaid, you know? She's going to go off and be a barmaid. And he's just... Yeah, I don't think so. You're an ulfer. <laughs> yes, you know about fine and nice things. Therefore, you can't possibly enjoy that life. Yeah. And she says, yeah, that's my last name given to me by a man I now detest. So it's a name I don't want. And the other man who has that name, I don't like all that much. So I'm going to go back to my maiden name. <laughs> Do we know what her maiden name is? <laughs> no, we never find out. Because <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's always going to be Ulfer. It doesn't matter. She belongs to, to Apollo. She belongs to the family. Yeah, she's an Ulfer woman. <laughs> and then he says, he says, you have all these things that you're enjoying right now because of me. Like the passage that you've had, the guards you had, the clothes you wear, the places you sleep, all that stuff is because of me. And she says, you brought me here, asshole, and left me there. <laughs> <sighs> and then she says, you throwing all that in my face says you believe I'm beholden to you for giving me clothes and food and safe passage. Well, get this through your head, hot guy. You're off the hook. Just let me go. You'll never see me again. And I won't cost you another dime. And he says, for you to leave, you'll need the garments I purchased for you and alone. And she says... I'll walk out of here naked. I don't give a damn. I loved her in that moment. <laughs> he says, and die in the elements. And she says, at least that'll be my choice. Yep. 
<laughs> Go her. I know. <laughs> it's so good. And so I feel like she and Cora needed to have a conversation. Oh God, no kidding. <laughs> Maybe her and Cersei too, but definitely her and Cora. Yeah, Apollo kind of realizes at this point, like, okay, maybe I need to give her a little bit of info here. And so he tells her about (laughs) the danger that is on the horizon. There's the witch she-god Minerva, who has joined up with other witches and stuff. He needs to protect her. He says, so for that reason, you're going to go to Carsval and stay with my kids and my guards and be kept safe. And she says, I can't be around your kids. And he's like, what? (laughs) And she tells him about the baby she lost. And so he says, okay, well, then you can come with me and go to Belbrin. And so he basically gives her the choice. But she doesn't want to do that either because she doesn't really like him. Like the conversation ends with her actually having a choice. I was so delighted. I mean, I can't even tell you. She was given options. Granted, options she didn't like, <laughs> but hey, it was a choice. <sighs> you can go to Carsfall and be with the children that will cause you emotional pain, <laughs> or you can go to Belbrin with me. <laughs> Which will also cause a certain kind of emotional torment. Yeah. Your choice. <laughs> hey, it's a choice. <laughs> so we're not surprised she chooses Belbrin because otherwise they wouldn't be together. <laughs> Plus, I think it's it's the the emotional torment she feels like she can handle the best. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that being around the kids would be harder for her. The ghost of children you didn't have or the guy who is grumpy, but at least so far hasn't hit you. So yay. So they start traveling and they need to travel <laughs> fast because they got to go to Belbrin because Apollo has to meet with men and do war talk. And they get an inn yep. that he gets one room for them that has one bed in it. And she's like, excuse you, where are you going to sleep? And he says, in here. <laughs> and she goes, well, where am I going to sleep? And he says, in here. <laughs> and she's like, oh, so you're going to sleep on the floor? And he's like, no. <laughs> See, I legitimately don't understand why he released all the guards. I mean, I know why, because he's like, he doesn't want any competition or whatever. I'm sure that's the reason. Yeah, he's realized all the guards are in love with her. If the objective is to keep her safe, wouldn't having more guards help with that? Especially as he points out, like, no, we have to be in the same room because instead of having seven or eight guys around, there's just me. Yeah, he's not fully truthful with her. Yeah, you're right. Because the reason he gives her for being in the room is that he needs to be with her all the time to protect her. And then he promptly leaves so she can get ready for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, okay, dude, whatever. (laughs) Love that honesty. (laughs) They have a conversation at dinner and he asks her if she wants to be known as Maddie. And she asks him if the name Madeline is a name in this world. And he says yes. And so she decides she'll be Maddie, short for Madeline. And he's like, okay. Yeah, I think it started as a short for Madam. Yeah, it started as a short for Madam. So Madam became Maddie. And she starts to realize that Apollo kind of let his wife live her own life. 
they have a conversation at dinner and she learns that Ilsa had been a doctor and often would visit the town and practice her craft while Apollo was away. And so she kind of did her own thing to an extent. So I think this gives Maddie hope for the future. I think so. Maybe not the immediate future, but any sort of long-term aspirations of freedom that she may have. Yeah, but at the same time, here she is comparing herself to Ilsa. Okay, so she looks just like me. She smells just like me. She was a doctor, for God's sake, and I was a waitress. (laughs) (laughs) yeah nothing good ever happens when you compare yourself to other people unfortunately she hasn't caught on to that so they get back to the hotel she's just kind of digesting all these things she learned from dinner when she sees a teapot on the table with beautiful cups with emerald green designs on them and she goes hmm tea i think i'll have some. yeah i wonder if apollo ordered this for us to drink before bed hmm. and so she smells it and it smells delicious she pours some and it's glittery and it's glowing and of course she's like okay i'll drink this <laughs> yeah no hesitation <laughs> she's game but she drinks it and it turns out it's a delity which is an aphrodisiac And when Apollo comes back, she's fully, like, ready to go. And he sees the tea and he goes, did you drink that tea? And she goes, oh, yeah. Of course, it was there. Oh, yeah. And now (laughs) you should stay. (laughs) And he's like, I'm going to tie you. I'm going to gag you and tie you to the bed and leave you for the night. And she's like. She doesn't like that idea. She's like, no, I need you. You need to stay. I need you. It's been years. And he's like, no, it's not me. It's the tea. And she just like jumps on him and like starts trying to make out with him and all this. He takes off his belt and at first she's happy, but then she realizes he's going to tie her to the bed with it. And she's like, don't tie me down. If you have to go, go. But I need my hands if you leave me. (laughs) Like she's like, I need to get myself off somehow. (laughs) yeah Yeah. and so he looks at her and he's like oh god well swear to me that there will be no repercussions for this yeah he resists as much as he can but you know he resists only so much and then he drinks the tea so he can keep up with her yeah and a night of wild passion ensues yes and it's it's hot it is hot there's dubious consent but it's hot it is at this point, I'm just happy it's not rape. Yeah. The bar's real low. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's mixed feelings when they wake up because Apollo wakes up and he's like, oh, God, I took advantage of her. I'm never going to win her now. And I think she sort of feels the yeah. same way. Like, she feels like she took advantage of the situation. Yeah, too. she feels like, oh, God, I pushed myself on him. He didn't want me. I looked just like his dead wife, for God's sake. <laughs> And then, so while they're kind of thinking these fun thoughts, Valentine shows up and meets with Apollo and reveals that, yeah, that was my tea. I left it there for you guys. (laughs) Oh, Valentine, come on. What is with you with drugging her? And Apollo's like, what the hell? And Valentine says, well, you guys were taking too long. (laughs) 
So I gave her what is essentially a date rate drug. Basically, You're yeah. welcome. Yeah, <laughs> gross. And I think also at that moment is when she reveals, oh, by the way, Derek's like right across the hall. Yeah, Derek heard all of it. <laughs> so Apollo decides, well, Derek and I need to have a conversation. And he goes over and tells Derek, uh, what the fuck, buddy? Yeah. What are you doing here? You are overstepping. Meanwhile, Derek is like, God, you guys were loud. It's like, you shouldn't have been here <laughs> to hear this. Yeah, it's it's really okay. So I was shipping Derek and Maddie, but this is this is creepy because he says, <laughs> God's man, if I didn't think I'd murder you on sight, I would have gone over solely to warn you that your activities might make, break the bed or send you through the floor. His tone degenerated when he added, or perhaps commend you on your bloody stamina. How many times did you have her? I counted 12 of hers, just nine of yours. Ew. Yeah, it's kind of gross. It's, well, more than kind of, but he says, if I were to tell the men, you'd be legend. Yeah, their ship totally hit that iceberg. Oh, so gross. (laughs) It's officially sinking. Into the Atlantic. By the sounds you made when she could not be heard, I can assume she has much talent with her mouth. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a little voyeuristically into it. It's It doesn't feel good. Yeah. He reveals to Apollo that he's in love with Maddie and that he can't handle this. And so he's going to leave Carsfall and return to Lazarus, which is... The family he's from and he says well can you at least wait until we get there and keep an eye on my kids at Carsfall?" and he agrees that he'll help guard the kids in Carsfall until they arrive and then he'll leave and then apollo goes and he and maddie have that conversation where he's ready to have her be mad at him and he comes in and realizes she's mad at herself and she calls herself a bitch yes That word still means a bad thing there. Yeah. And at this point, he started calling her Poppy in addition to Dove because she has red highlights in her hair from being outside. He tells her it was the Adelity and it was Valentine's fault that it was there. And they kind of make up, I guess. Yeah, they at least reach an understanding. And at this point, there's the connection that they've had from the Adelity because as we've learned in previous books... Not only does it, you know, enhance sex, but it also increases like that connection between the partners. They continue traveling to Carsfall and they stay at a different inn that's nicer. And he takes her out to dinner where it's really fancy. And they kind of have a relationship defining conversation. He tells her about what Valentine told him. Maddie points out that now valentine has drugged her twice (laughs) yeah come on valentine get it together we want to like you all you have to do is not be a shit then they have this really happy conversation where he brings up birth control and says i'm gonna get you some birth control and i'll wear a condom well he calls it a sheath but basically it's a condom yeah he's not lying to her about that he's like you know i think it's good for us to just be us without you having children however you know we did have last night but from this point on i'll wear a sheath 
until you get the panerium, which is the birth control powder. Yes. Which I like that they have this conversation. It shows a certain le- certain level of maturity. There's no sneaking things around. I'm looking at you, Frey. And then as they're talking, they get approached by a man and Apollo introduces Maddie as Lady Ulfer. And the man congratulates them and stuff. And so after he leaves, Maddie's like, what was that? (laughs) And he decides he'll actually tell her the truth and say that, you know, he's kind of put out this story that Maddie is a distant cousin of Ilsa. And that would explain like why they look so much alike. And that often in his world, you know, a widow and a widower might get married. So the widower can protect the widow, essentially. And she's like, excuse me? (laughs) I don't remember you asking me to marry you. But that's what I just did right now. Didn't you hear it? Yeah. I asked you in my head. Can you not read my mind? We are not in sync. (laughs) And he points out that all the sex they had last night was unprotected sex he can't let her be pregnant with his kid and not married to him but she's not pregnant i don't understand yeah she's hypothetically pregnant because of their unprotected sex i guess i don't know (laughs) i don't know she realizes that he's been basically intending this for a long time that he's gonna marry her for her quote protection he tells her that he basically feels responsible for her because he made the choice to remove her from her world and force her to live in his world. He put her in the situation and so he feels responsible for her. However, he also tells her that he's okay with her having freedom as long as she's his wife. So you can do what you want, you can study a profession, but you still gotta marry me. It's a choice, but not really a choice. Kind of like before. Yeah, I don't know. And he says, in other words, I don't care what you do. The only thing I care about is that you're safe and happy while doing it. Mm-hmm. That's what you say. When she says, now that was a marriage proposal. Different strokes, different folks. She forgives him. <laughs> they have some sexy talk. Uh, they talk about their plans for when they get home or back to the room. But when they get back to the room, dun, dun, dun. there is an ambush. Yes, they are greeted by attackers. Maddie fights back because she is not, you know, the, the damsel in distress, so to speak. I mean, she is in distress and she is a damsel, but she's a damsel with the intent to harm. Yes. <laughs> Apollo, of course, has his knife, but not his sword. And he tells Maddie to run. And Maddie's like, um, no, I'm not going to run. And so she finds Apollo's sword, smacks one dude with the flat of it and knocks him out, throws the sword to Apollo, smacks another dude over the head with a lamp. Apollo kills a guy. Or does he kill two of the guys? He has a body count. Yes, one of them is still alive and Apollo tries to interrogate the guy, but the guy's like, eh, I'm not going to talk to you. I think he just kills him. Okay, yeah, yeah. So he's searching the bodies. He finds the note. Maddie decodes it. The one who was still alive wakes up and he tries to interrogate him. And he goes, did they just send 10 men for my kids? And the guy's like, ha ha. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's a little strange how she decodes it because she just, I guess, stares at the code and then just wills the information into her brain. I think maybe, you know, it's a little hint for later how prevalent magic is with women because otherwise this doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it didn't really make sense to me either. I mean, if you know what the code meant, which is like C-E at K... She decodes that as Christoph Elon at Carsfall, you know? And so if you know what it means, well, it makes sense. But if you don't know what it means, then how would you know? Yeah, no, that's what I mean. It, the only way that that really makes sense is all women are a little bit magical. And this is the way her magic manifests. I guess. <laughs> she has magic decoding abilities. I mean, maybe she's got a decoder ring for a third eye. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? I'm game with it. It's fine. I will, you know, dragons exist. Fine. Magic Dakota ring in the forehead. Fine. <laughs> so they make haste to cars fall when they arrive. All the lights are on. There's eight dead bodies outside and they run inside and the children are upstairs and they're freaked out, but fine. Maddie's counting in her head. She's all, no, the note said there were 10 guys. And there were only eight bodies. So she runs outside and she asks one of the guards, where are the other two? And he's like, um, Maddie, maybe you should just chill out. And she's all, <laughs> where are they? And she runs to the garden shed where they are and they're being tortured by the guards. Maddie goes up to the one guy who's tied up and he says, what did you do to her? And she grabs a knife. Yeah, of... she's very proactive right here, which <laughs> out of Lars's belt... And stabs him in the shoulder. <laughs> and she's like, who sent you? <laughs> and I'm sorry, but I got I got Christopher Nolan Batman like in my head during this. <laughs> like, who sent you? <laughs> I did not... But I wish I had. I so wish that's how I heard that one. Where are they? <laughs> Missed opportunity. <laughs> Apollo shows up and he's just like watching her. She's all, you'll talk to me if I have hedge clippers and cut off your dick. Yeah, yeah. Apollo shows up and like kills the guy that she's interrogating. So there's just the one left. And he's like, you see what I did with that guy? I will not hesitate to kill you too. And that's when she's like, oh, hedge clippers, where are they? Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird, creepy couples moment. Yeah. And then the other guy is like, the queen is just... And Apollo's like, yeah, the queen is just, but she's not here right now. I am. You drew the short straw, buddy. Apollo has one of his guards take um, Maddie away to the dower house and stay with her. And then he says, as she's leaving, she hears him say, Hans, hand me those clippers. <laughs> Later that night, he wakes her up and he is hot for her he's like you are a lioness not even of your blood not even a word exchanged and for them you sank a blade into a man's <laughs> flesh and she's like yeah yeah i did and he's all yeah and i liked it <laughs> yes he's very into this violent side that she has 
protective violence. So they have the wonderful, extremely rough sex. Then they're all cuddly and he is really appreciative. He's like, you know, you rode really hard to get me back to my kids and you fought on my behalf and you're just badass. And then he says, you liked the rough sex. Mm -hmm. And he points out, you know, you did everything I told you to do and you liked it when I spanked you and you liked it when I was bossy. And she did. (laughs) We'll explore this more. (laughs) And he's excited about that because... Well, he's into it because he reflects on his sex life with Ilsa as being really enjoyable, but Ilsa apparently was pretty vanilla. And he respected it. Yeah, he was happy with it. He didn't have any problems with it. But with Maddie, he realizes, oh, you know, we could be a little bit more adventurous. And he really likes that. The next day, Apollo talks to Derek as he's getting ready to leave. And Derek says he's going to Spectre Isle, which is where they found out the witches were. Yes, those evil witches. Hanging out. The bitches. Yes. So the witches are, let's see, there's Minerva, Edith and Helda, and also Balder. Ugh, that guy. Good old Balder. Someone decapitate that guy already. Is also in on it. How has he made it this far in the story? I have no idea. Mm -hmm. Apollo tries to talk Derek out of going to Spectre Isle, saying, you know, that's basically a suicide mission. Derek says, well, I'm the best scout you have, and so... I'm going to go scout and you can't stop me. That is true. And he doesn't really want to stop him. (laughs) I don't think. Not really. So let's talk a little bit about the kids. Apollo's told his children about Maddie, that she looks just like their mom, but she's not. And Kristoff is like eight or nine years old and he remembers his mom. She was like, she died when he was like four, I think. Elon was a baby and so she doesn't remember her mom at all so elon's basically super duper happy to meet maddie but Kristoff is a little bit more reticent i guess yeah he has memories of elsa and so he's a little more hesitant to be on board with the new mom thing but initially um he's really friendly and open with her to a point and elon is super friendly and into her. I think Kristoff hasn't put two and two together so much. He doesn't understand how serious it is between Apollo and Maddie. So he's sort of like, okay, I'll kind of go along with this for now. Yeah, and and Maddie is she she's concerned about meeting them. I mean, there's there's her feelings, but she's also worried about their feelings. Like, she doesn't want to be living in Apollo's house right away. She'd rather stay in the Dower house, which is a 10-minute ride away, so that she's not forcing herself on the kids, essentially. Yeah, which is thoughtful of her. I mean, it's I think it's sort of for her own emotional protection, but I think she's also thinking of their best interest, too. Because he's really interested in having this family, you know? <laughs> like, he's just really wanting to shovel these people together and just have it be wonderful. Yeah. And initially, Apollo agrees that she can stay in the dower house for now and he'll come see her after dinner and spend night with her every night and then spend the days with his kids, which seems weird, but okay. 
she has three servants, uh, Christiana, Loretta, and Mita. Christiana's like the house servant, and then Loretta and Mita are like the ladies' maids, I guess. And she makes friends with them. We find out Mita is from Maru, and she had been a slave, but now she's free. So she escaped her owner, um, stole his valuables, and ran off on a pirate ship that took her to the Northlands. I think Mita's awesome. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's it's one of those moments where you get a <laughs> glance at another character and you're like, I kind of wish the story was a little more about them than who the story is actually about. Sorry. Mm-hmm. This is another of those things where it's like weird where Maddie, I mean, these women are her servants and she just treats them like friends and she's like, oh, it's nice having friends again, you know? <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Friends who do stuff for me. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. It's just, it's a weird thing to me. I don't. And even later you find out Mita wants to stay um, in Maddie's employ because Maddie treats her like a friend instead of like a servant. And Mita is happy about it. You know, so I guess, I mean, that's good and all, but she's still her servant. It's another one of those moments where you kind of have uh, where you're wondering how much the character appreciates the world that they live in. It's a little bit Cersei-esque. It's like, they're my girls. Yes, well, there's a little more to it than that, honey. But we'll just leave that alone. Maddie and Apollo at some point have a talk about why... Um, they were attacked by assassins and not by magic. And they wonder, like, maybe it's because the witches don't have the magic to spare. They also think that maybe it's because the best way to, to make the men, like, freak out is to attack their families. And so we bring up Frey, Lon, and Tor, and Apollo, and all four of them... Which makes sense. The thing that would trigger them would be their families being in danger. They start talking about maybe her meeting the kids. She says she made cookies for the kids. She's decided she's going to give them sweets (laughs) and that way they'll like her. That's a a fair plan with children. (laughs) And Apollo says, okay, well, you should have dinner with us tonight then. And so that kind of freaks her out a little bit because she's like, oh, it's a little soon, but okay. So it's the next day. They've got the cookies. They have their schedule. And Maddie has Loretta and Mita skulking around with her to watch the kids and kind of help her, I guess, get used to the kids before meeting them, I guess. Which makes sense. But as they're spying on the kids she sees two big men (laughs) also skulking around and she's like well that doesn't look good and she's proactive yeah she's proactive she tells um her her servants to go get help and then she runs over to the kids and she tells them to run and she's ready she has a branch she like beans one of the guys (laughs) over the head he catches it well he she tries to beat him over the head he catches it on his arm she gets caught up from behind it turns out apollo grabs her and he's like what are you doing (laughs) and it turns out that these guys are people the kids know and it's fine and they were just being sneaky to be fun or something and apollo's like what's going on and she says it seemed i'd overreacted again (laughs) because yeah she's quote overreacting 
I don't know. She's very protective of these kids. She is. I I don't feel like she is overreacting because there's they take the time in the story to say there's this threat. You know, we have to be careful. Everyone has to be safe. There was an attack on the children. I don't think it's overreacting. And these guys are lurking. So she meets the kids a little bit early. Um, then they get sent off. They seem happy to meet her. She has this conversation with uh, Apollo he basically says oh well since you're here you should uh, explore my house and so she does and then later they talk she says oh I like your house and he says I would assume with the other me's nefarious dealings he could provide you with a mm. grand home and she says you'd assume correctly and he says is mine grander quote it was Apollo wanting to give me better not his insecurities mind you he just wants to provide better we have this whole theme throughout the story Apollo wants to give her better or bigger or more Ugh. <laughs> Apollo says well since you like my house so much I'll get you packed up and we'll move you in here tomorrow and she's like no that's too soon she starts freaking out and he misunderstands this. She says it's moving too fast. He misunderstands it. And so eventually he's like, fine, you can just stay in the dower house and you let me know when you're ready to uh, to move here, essentially. She doesn't have dinner with the kids and he just ignores her. He withdraws completely. So she spends four days in the dower house thinking WTF. Yes. <laughs> and she's alone and I mean, she has her maids still, but she's basically realized, okay, well, I guess Apollo's decided it's not worth it. It's too hard for him. And so she's back to the point where she thinks, well, I won't, I, I'm on my own, but I don't really have very many choices. Yeah. Christiana comes in and gives her the quote talk, which is apparently a thing in these books. And she says, you need to go fix this with your man <laughs> yes it's your problem and you need to go fix it the women have to fix the problems that's our lot in life the emotional labor is your job <laughs> maddie maddie's like uh no it's his fault and she goes yeah it's his fault but it's still your <laughs> job to fix it because <laughs> he can't be expected to address his own emotional needs in any kind of way no not at all Maddie at first says, are you talking about using sex to manipulate him? And Christiana's, well, that works for some guys, but I don't think that will work <laughs> oh for Apollo. I mean, I guess that's good. <laughs> it's one of those, I think this is trying to be good advice, but it ends up like hitting all the rocks on the way down of like, no, 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 no. Yeah, I just don't get it. Like the whole thing, like, well, you have to make your man listen. Use manipulation to make your man listen to you in a way that doesn't infringe on his masculine pride or whatever. In the previous books, this advice makes, uh, bear with me, a little more sense because it seems like Maddie has more agency than any of the other female characters thus far in the series. So you can kind of understand where those other female characters are backed into a corner <laughs> of, well, I sort of have to use some sort of manipulation because they have no other resources or tools or friends in certain cases to advocate for them. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And the friends that they do have tell them, you know, this is how you got to play it. Exactly. So the advice they get is not great to begin with. 
Uh, Maddie takes Christiana's words to heart and she starts with like this negative self-talk where I have all these issues. He's got all these bigger issues. His issues are more important than my issues. Mm. It's, it is my fault and I need to fix it. She shifts in her thinking wrongly, I feel, because prior to this, she was thinking this is Apollo's fault. He needs to come apologize. He's not apologizing. So now I know where I stand. Christiana's like, well, honey, it is actually your fault because you need to fix it and you've been waiting to fix it for too long. And she internalizes all that and goes, oh, I guess it is my fault. Mm. And so she decides she's going to go see Apollo and she leaves right then and there and meets up with him. But he's getting ready to head out. Do you feel like moments like that in the story are where the writer is trying to make the character be more responsible AKA like in the vein of agency and all of that to take responsibility for their actions? Or do you feel like this is just... It's hard to know the the writer's motivations in writing this because the way I interpreted it was that the writer feels like it's the woman's responsibility to do all the emotional labor in the relationship. Okay. Yeah. But I know you can write something and not agree with what you're writing. Oh, completely. I would hope that Ashley, you know, doesn't truly feel that all women need to handle all emotional labor and use sex to keep their man happy and all those other fun (laughs) lessons we learn in these stories. I hope it's not like that for her in real life. And this is just a fantasy story. These modern fairy tales. (laughs) I try to give the author the benefit of the doubt, you know? I want to as well. I was just curious what your input on that was. Yeah, it's tough because I think that all we have to go on is the text, right? All we have to go on is the text and the story. And based on the text and the story, women need to handle their men's feelings. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's, for better or for worse, when you listen to an audiobook version, you have interpretations given by the the narrator but that's not necessarily the author's intent or isn't supposed to convey that right i mean once once an author publishes a work or otherwise releases it into the wild i mean then then everyone who partakes is free to interpret it however they will it's no longer just the author right so i mean ashley created this and then released it into the (laughs) wild and here we are interpreting it based on our experiences i mean it's hard to say what her intent was i would hope that she doesn't think that you know slavery is okay and men should be in positions of power over women i would hope not you know the only power women have is manipulation (laughs) i mean hopefully she she's a good person and doesn't think these things and i mean she probably is a good person and doesn't think these things but we don't have i don't know her personally i don't know yeah neither do i (laughs) it is interesting though it's interesting to think about um putting a character in a scenario that is so alien to what you think or feel or experience and so maybe that's where she's going with it you know she's she's uh exploring what if scenarios yeah that's probably right i hope i don't know (laughs) i i hope so she's just taking (laughs) these ideas and maybe she's applying like fairy tales because 
Heaven knows classic fairy tales are filled with fun things. So maybe this is supposed to feel that way. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of darkness in these stories and I do appreciate some darkness. I just wish that there was more opportunities for the, the female characters to have power. Yeah, I totally agree. And it seems like Maddie actually does. Maddie, I think, is... She, she has ownership of herself. Yeah, in a way that a lot of the other characters didn't seem to. Or the the other female protagonists. Mm-hmm. Uh, so back to the story. She's back at the house and she goes to talk to Apollo. It turns out he's getting ready to leave. And he's blank with her again. So, you know, he's been going hot and cold, hot and cold. They were doing really well. They had this fight and now... He's Mr. Stonewall again. And he's just like, I'm busy. Make this quick. Maddie interprets it as I'm too late. He already has decided I'm not worth it. Yeah. Which they they were having moments where they opened up to each other prior to this. So it's a little a little confusing why he suddenly shifted. He says, you know, would you care to share with me why you walked through the snow to speak to me? And she says, well, it can wait because you have an important errand. And he says, I'm not fond of leaving women weeping in my bedchamber. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know. She tells him she made a mistake marrying Paul. And she says that she had this weakness, this flaw that made her not make the right decision. She feels like wanting nicer things in life made her make wrong decisions. She said that her parents told her that she shouldn't marry Paul. And her father said that if she married Paul, then he wasn't going to have anything to do with her anymore. But the first time she got severely physically abused, she went back home to her dad. And her dad opened the door, took one look at her looking like a wreck, and then just closed the door in her face. And because of that, she just doesn't feel like She knows how to be taken care of. She's never had someone just want to take care of her just because. We get to the crux of the problem, I think, which is that Apollo, for whatever reason, wants to give her bigger and better and more, which I feel has to do with insecurity on his part. I agree. But she feels like, well, you're giving me all this stuff and I have nothing to give you. Literally nothing to give you except my body yeah apollo thaws out after all this i think he just wanted he wanted to know what was going on in her head i think yeah that's been his mission from the beginning is to sort of figure out her thought processes and whatnot so he could get to know her and differentiate her from ilsa it's it's kind of weird to me though because when he feels like she's not giving what's in her head to him like she's not giving her thoughts to him she's not giving him what he wants Mm -hmm. from her he withholds himself yeah so he's all giving and loving and attentive but then once he feels like she's pulling back he's like oh nope gates (laughs) up i don't know it seems really manipulative to me yeah because she does so desperately want to not have secrets between them like that was i guess a big thing with her and other apollo was he would withhold. 
And probably, I'm guessing, withhold and bottle up and then explode. Probably, yeah. So her reasoning, I think, is she's trying to sort of let, let's vent that before it becomes a problem. Don't bottle it all up because then I'm going to take a pounding. So Apollo decides, well, Maddie can come with him to the gale at the Drakkar seat, which is where he was headed. And so he's like, you can come with me. And then when we get back, you can stay at the Dower House as long as you need to. And you need to share with me more so I can know what you're thinking and not jump to conclusions. He also reveals that the kids will be coming with them. So she'll be traveling with the children. Which she has a little bit of anxiety about, but I think she's kind of okay with it. Yeah, I think so. At this point, she's fine with being introduced to them. She just doesn't want to live in his house just yet. And so while they're traveling, um, she rides in the sleigh with Elon and Kristoff and Apollo are riding horses, but they frequently ride next to the sleigh. And she notes that Kristoff is very much like a mini Apollo. (laughs) So when they get to Brunskar, which is the evil goth looking castle which i thought was awesome at the drakkar seat apollo's a little worried because as you know <laughs> from the earlier books many of the people in the drakkar family are not very very nice although some of them i really like like franca yeah there's franca <laughs> <laughs> and he's not sure he wants to take her to the gale which is like a ball or a party and Maddie convinces him, well, I want to wear a pretty dress and I want to look out for you the way you look out for me. So you should take me. And so he agrees to take her. And as she's all getting all fancied up, Kristoff sees her getting all ready. And you can kind of tell that he's like, oh, no, you look too much like my mom. Yes, Kristoff <laughs> at this point is putting two and two together as to at least in a what is he, nine, nine-year-olds understanding of what the nature of their relationship is. Like, this is not just a casual acquaintance. This is probably something more permanent. And also, she's standing there in yeah. her finery and looking very much like his mother. Of course, I mean, she would anyway, but in a way that he remembers her and doing things that she used to do with his father. Right. Huh. <sighs> So they get to the ball, to the gale, and um, Apollo says he's going to go talk to Eirik and Valeria. Oh, yes. We love him. Yeah. And he doesn't want um, Maddie to talk to them. So he passes her off to a man named Norfolk, who's a nice guy, an older gentleman, to kind of keep an eye on her while he's talking to Eirik. And this... Basically, the second Apollo's out of the picture, Franca comes over. <laughs> Norfolk sees Franca heading over and he's all, hey, let's go dancing. And Maddie's like, no, it's fine. And so Franca does her catty thing. She's like, huh, you look really familiar. Oh, Franca. I do love her. I know. I know. It's, I, I know. Yeah. But I love her. Franca says, Ulfer seems smitten but i suppose i shouldn't be surprised at that you know kind of 
obviously, because you look like his dead wife. Yeah. <laughs> and Norfolk says, you're craftier than that, Franca, surely. And she goes, oh, dear, have I been rude? And Maddie says, no, you've been reckless. Hmm. And she tells her what's what, like, you know, yeah, I know I look just like Apollo's deceased wife, but I have his arm. Yeah, that apparently is a phrasing that is significant. I have his arm. Franca goes away. Apollo's watching. He looks a little upset, but then Maddie's like, "Ah, it's fine. I handled it. (laughs) They finish up the party. And as they're coming down the stairs to go back to their hotel, Her feet get stuck to the stairs and she gets surrounded by black mist and transported to the middle of a forest. And one of the things that came out from behind the trees is a man with the head of a bird. There's a lot of them and they're coming to get her. And she starts running and then she sees Loretta and Mita also running and they're armed. Yes, I feel like this was a nice moment where... Other characters are kind of stepping in. Other female characters are stepping in to defend and fight. And it's not just everything left up to the male characters to do. Mita gives Maddie a weapon. They start fighting. One of the bird guys gets their head cut off and another head starts growing in its place. And then another body starts growing from the decapitated head. And so she's like, let's just maim them, not cut things <laughs> off, because it causes more of them to happen. This is backfiring. It looks like they're losing, and then all of a sudden they get surrounded by wolves. And it turns out the wolves are protecting them. So the wolves start attacking the the bird guys and protecting the women. But even that doesn't seem good enough. And then all of a sudden everyone, like all the wolves, lie on their bellies And Mita shouts, get down, get down. And then they get blasted with fire all around them. And the fire is coming from three ginormous dragons who basically incinerate all the bird guys. And then she looks up and through the smoke in a very movie sort of uh, scene, a hot dude and gorgeous woman are (laughs) stepping through the smoke. (laughs) Maddie says, oh, I take it you're Finny and Frey. Apparently, the bird-headed guys are called Hugh Crows. Yes. We heard them referenced at the end of Fantastical, but they didn't actually show up, so now they've manifested. You kind of see, like, maybe between in in Fantastical, where you have the Vicrants, which really aren't described, and then I think after that, it's the Toilroys, and now it's the Hugh Crows. You're kind of getting a sense, or at least I did, that... These little creature, these villainous creatures that are coming after them are maybe stronger each time. So this assumption Mm. that the bad guys are weaker for some reason or growing weaker, which I'm not really sure why they seem to think that, but they come to that conclusion. You know, there seems to be evidence that no, in fact, they're quite a bit stronger than they think. Yeah, I agree. I think that... That they keep ramping up these magical creatures to bigger, badder ones. So it's nice to see the escalation because really, I don't think in the first two books, the adversaries are really named, you know, that these baddies that they're sort of on the path to face, they don't really start taking any kind of Mm -hmm. form until the third book. And even then they're barely in it. And so it was nice that they're more present in this book. Yeah, in this book, this is what they've been building toward. 
I think, throughout the three previous books. And building is a generous term. Because <laughs> you kind of forget that they exist because so little happens <laughs> with regard to them. That you're sort of like, oh, right, That's Minerva. True. Okay, <laughs> I forgot. Whoops. Because she's never in the, the third book. She's uh-huh. referenced. She's the boogeyman, so to speak. But she doesn't yeah. ever really show up. And her little creatures are there a couple of times so it's it's nice to know that there is a villain that isn't the hero yeah and they verify that the hue crows are minervas <laughs> there's something funny though is that like apollo didn't rescue her yes oh thank goodness i was expecting apollo to rescue her <laughs> i mean he kind of does a little bit because the wolves and he's master of the wolves yeah, but he doesn't personally rescue her. No, the one, I mean, the wolves kind of hold him off for a little bit, and the, but the dragons really do. And then later she is rescued again by another hero from another story. So it's not Apollo doing it. It's another, at the very last second, when you think all hope is lost, enter hero. It's a man to the rescue. Yep. <laughs> and by hero, I mean quotation mark hero, because... Um, it's confirmed for us that the Hue Crows are Minerva's magic. The Black Mist isn't Minerva, though. Blue is Minerva's color. Black is someone else's color. Yes, I don't think at that point we know who it is. We just know who it isn't. Apollo and Frey have a talk, and Frey's like, I'm here because my family's gathering, so I'm keeping an eye on them. He's like, okay, well... It's either my mom or my dad or Franca or Christian, which is Franca's brother. <laughs> so let's get them all in the dungeon and we'll see what's what. <laughs> I love it. It's like, we already know who's doing this because we're that good. Or they're really not that good <laughs> at being bad. It's not clear. So Apollo talks to the king of the wolves and finds out that 27 wolves died. Mm. And he promises the king of the wolves that they will be avenged. Poor wolfies. And Maddie's like, how are you talking to the wolves? <laughs> Apollo tells her that the house of Ulfur commands the wolves. And so as the head of his house, he's in charge of the wolves. Good for him. Yeah. So all of Frey's fun family, all the, all the relatives are in the dungeon getting questioned. And we find out some, some fun tea that Valeria has been cheating on Eirik. <laughs> Which Franca knows and offers up. She's a wealth of information, that Franca. Because I guess Valeria is wearing a ice diamond. And she says, oh no, Eirik bought it for me. And Eirik's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> but they found a cure parcel hidden in Christian's room. And so they're going to torture Christian. And then that makes Franca break. And she says, no, it's my fault. I begged him to hide it in his room. Yeah, I think the cure parcel is what's supposed to make... It essentially broke through their magical warding and enabled the evil witch to magic Maddie away. Okay. That's that's how I understood it, because apparently the cure parcel lets off a glow. And because nobody likes Franca, she wasn't allowed to stay in the castle. So she had to use Christian's room because he was allowed to stay at the castle because Christian's just... He's not the sharpest tool in the shed, but everybody likes him. He's kind of a little bit Rose. And she reveals that she had... She has a lover that Helda who's the witch with the black 
magic has captured and they've been torturing him and that's why she's betrayed everyone yeah franco wants to protect antoine because on the hour every hour he gets tortured and i love how none of the other characters are very sympathetic to her she's obviously in love with this guy they just don't care. They decide, okay, well, I guess we'll go blast Spectre Isle with Dragonfire and hope that does it. And she's like, but you'll kill Antoine. And they're like, meh. <laughs> you can't really be in love with him because you're, you're, we don't like you. You're not a likable female. So you can't really be in love with Antoine. How would you feel if it was your wife on the island being tortured instead of Antoine? And they're like, Oh, well, then we wouldn't do it. Exactly. She's not part of the cool guys club. <laughs> so they don't give a single fuck. <laughs> and they're like, well, we're probably not going to succeed anyway, but let's try blasting them with fire. <laughs> let's just threaten. Make poor Franca have an ulcer over it. I want yeah. Franca to get revenge on all of these idiots. <laughs> and we learned that Loretta got injured um, in the forest when they were helping Maddie. Mita is going to stay with her that night while she's getting doctored up. We also find out that Mita has the sight. And that's how she knew that Maddie was in danger. Again, Mita's cooler. Mita is the best, man. Why isn't this Mita's story? <laughs> I, can, I wouldn't want to hazard a guess. And I don't want that guess to be recorded. <laughs> I don't want evidence of that guess. Okay, let's let's make a major here's a major okay, shift, I'm okay? So they're done tor <laughs> They're done torturing uh Frey's relatives. <laughs> They've told Franca, yeah, we're going to set fire to Specter Island. We don't care about <laughs> Say Antoine. Goodbye to your lover. <laughs> we found out that Mita has the sight. We like Mita, which is unfortunate. And then we then we learned that the dragons didn't work. Like the fire that they sent didn't work. The witches were able to fend it off. Right, because they're way more powerful than these men can possibly conceive. <laughs> so so now we're back you know, from like the exciting parts of the story and we're back in uh, Apollo's head and he's concerned about his son, Kristoff, because Kristoff has kind of withdrawn from Maddie ever since seeing her get dressed for the gale. They've all kind of convened at Carsfall. So there's Apollo and Maddie and the kids and Frey and Finny are with them. And then the other guys, so Lon and Cersei and Tor and Cora are separate. And they're thinking, well, this way the witches will have to attack two groups instead of one group. And for some reason they think that's better. I kind of get their logic. I get why they think that. I don't necessarily agree that that's a good plan. But I get why they think that. And so we have some emotional turmoil. So Kristoff is poor kid. Yeah. He's going through a lot. Apollo is worried about Kristoff, not quite sure what to do about it. And Maddie has let what Franca said about looking like Ilsa 
get into her head and start bothering her. Yes. And she's doing this negative self-talk again. She's like, all I have to give Apollo is my body. All I have is sex. He gives me all this stuff. I'm useless. I don't have anything to give him in return. Valentine shows up and tells Apollo, watch out. I've been keeping an eye on Paul, but now I can't see him. I I can't find him anymore. Right. So they suspect that he might have been transported to fantasy land. Yes. And he might be protected by the witches, which would be the reason that she can't see him anymore. And things reach a breaking point with Kristoff where he's decided to run away. And so everyone in the house freaks out and all the men go out searching. And before Apollo leaves, he tells um maddie don't leave the house stay here but one of Frey's guys found Kristoff and brings him up and as they're riding back up to the house finney who was also ordered to stay in the house comes riding out and Frey says excuse you wife i gave you an order why are you not (laughs) obeying me and she says maddie is missing apollo and Kristoff have a conversation where Kristoff says, you know, Maddie isn't my mom. She's never going to be as good as my mom. And Apollo acknowledges it and says, yeah, of course she's not because your mom was your mom. You know, like your mom is always the best mom. Yeah. (laughs) With Apollo's background, with his mother situation or mothering situation, I understand why that's his point of view. I suppose. I just don't necessarily agree. Yeah, I don't know. And Apollo kind of says also that, you know, just because she's not as good as your mom doesn't mean she couldn't be good. Yeah. Give her a chance, essentially. Yes. Reserve judgment. Yeah. Christoph is like, well, why can't you just send her away? And he's like, well, where would that leave me? Where would that leave Elan? Yeah, I love how he's like, you have to think about your actions and their consequences and what you say and how it affects other people. Meanwhile, I'll say and do whatever the fuck I (laughs) want. Basically, yeah. He's a little bit hypocritical there because Kristoff is mini Apollo. He wants to be just like Apollo and he sees what Apollo does and he acts the way Apollo acts. Yep. I feel bad for Kristoff. Me too. I don't sound like I'm feeling very sympathetic to him, but I I do. I just, sarcasm is my default feature. (laughs) Your default setting. Yes. Sarcasm is my default setting. (laughs) Uh, So Maddie's missing and we find out that Maddie left with Cora the Gracious, who showed up at the door and said she and Prince Nocturno were riding to Carsfall and found... Apollo's kid holed up in a tree and he refused to budge unless Maddie came to talk to him and Maddie dispensing with all thought, (laughs) all critical thinking skills whatsoever. Who needs those? You're never going to get them. Goes, okay, I'll go see him. And she blindly follows Cora out and they keep walking and walking and walking and walking and walking and walking through the forest. And every time she says something about, huh, where is he? Cora's like, oh, not much farther. <laughs> and Maddie starts thinking, like something starts percolating in her brain and she realizes, 
Hmm. <laughs> this might not be Cora. Glad she got there eventually. <laughs> she starts running away. Um, but Cora has brought her outside the bounds of the magical protection. Suddenly, an enormous flock of ugly birds with webbed wings start blotting out the sun and coming to attack. But at the same time, two gigantic dudes with gigantic swords also arrive. And it turns out that those dudes are on Maddie's side. <laughs> and so they grab her and fight off the birds and run her back toward Carsfall. Yay! And they get in sight of another gigantic dude on a horse who's just magnificent <laughs> according to maddie she recognizes this guy as doc's lawn because it's just kind of obvious i guess <laughs> yeah i don't know there's a lot of magnificent looking dudes around i was kind of actually sitting there going which one are you again she gets deposited on uh doc's lawn's horse with him and she can see Cersei the golden warrior queen on her own horse with them and they ride toward Car's fall and Maddie has this thought that I just thought was hilarious <laughs> knowing uh, what happened in book two <laughs> but <laughs> she's she's checking out the guards uh, the two Korwakian guards who came to rescue her and Lon and she's thinking and eyeing them, it was insane. I had an awesome hot guy, as in seriously awesome and seriously hot, but I kind of wished I'd been transported to wherever they came from. <laughs> sure about that, sweetheart? <laughs> oh my gosh. Could you imagine? Oh my goodness. <sighs> she does not know. She doesn't understand the bullet she dodged. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I would much rather be emotionally abused by Apollo than transported to Coral. Oh gosh. Yeah. Hands down. <laughs> Hands down. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so Lon and Cersei bring Maddie back to Apollo and Apollo just tells her she's stupid and she should not have gone off and it doesn't matter what the reason is she still shouldn't have left etc etc and Cersei tries to protect Maddie a bit you mm -hmm. know and to say well she thought it was Cora and Apollo's like I don't care <laughs> and so he tells Maddie I have some things I need to think about and I need to attend to my son so I shall not be attending to you she tries to talk to him and he's he won't let her talk and he says i've made some grave mistakes i must see to rectifying them and then he just oh he does the big bad thing and he says to her you know what's coming it would seem i am much like your father madeline for no matter how i wish to keep you from harm you consistently find your way into it by making rash decisions that lead to dire consequences Yay, emotional abuse. I'm so happy. She replies, he didn't wish to keep me from harm. When offered the chance, he didn't even try. And he says, or he may have been smart enough to know when he should give up. Ouch. And so he leaves her in the dower house. 
She's got the chicks, though. So there's Cersei, Finney, Loretta, and Mita, and Christiana. So she's got them. She's got the babies. So uh, Finney has Victor, and Cersei has Tunin and Isis. So there's cute babies. <laughs> Yay, babies. But she's just thinking to herself, you know... I ran away from Paul because I was his literal whipping post. I don't need to be with a guy who uses me as his verbal whipping yeah. post. And she's decided, you know, Christiana kind of talked me down last time and said I need to heal the breach. But I think in this case, I shouldn't. It's not my job. Which is a good moment for her, I think. What do you think? I think so. I think she's decided, you know, I'm going to... Uh, obviously the only person who will look out for me is me i tried trusting apollo but obviously when push comes to shove he's gonna push me away once he starts feeling feelings because that's what it is in these books the man feels the feelings and then he reacts poorly toward the woman yeah you know he's worried he's he's freaking out because his son was gone and he finds his son and then finds out his love is gone and then finds out okay she's safe but instead of just decompressing and taking a minute he lashes out yeah and maddie has that moment just like all the other women in these stories where she's like well i guess he doesn't want me i'm gonna deal with my own stuff but at least maddie has a plan yeah she seems more prepared to handle this moment than some of the other characters in the other books so she does get to hang out with all the other chicks and that's great and all. Um, we find out Cersei, both Cersei, Golden Queen Cersei, and Otherworld Cersei, who's currently living in our <laughs> world, have undergone this ritual to replenish their magic. And there's this weird side story that's just briefly touched on where Cersei's telling them how she, she did this ritual and she had to go into this pool in the middle of a cave every day. For five days but it only took her three days and Mita says it seems strange that something like that could you know your magic could be filled up just by you wandering into a pool and Cersei says well we also had to solve five riddles every day face five trials every day and make it through interconnecting caves every day by different routes and there were tons of skeletons and Lon almost got his head chopped off but it was fine. Yeah, it's one of those things where why couldn't the story happen over there? Or yeah, some of her story or something that would have felt a little less oppressive and terrible. Yeah, that's the funny thing. It's like we have, okay, we have Finny and Frey and we have Cersei and Lon. And you get like this whole different side of these couples in this mm -hmm. story. In this story, it's Maddie and Apollo who have the shitty abusive relationship. And Cersei and Lon are super lovey-dovey. And Finny and Frey are super lovey-dovey. It's bizarre. I don't, I don't understand why so much of the book's focus has to be on when things are this terrible with the couples without giving them anything else for them to do. You know, for example, with Frey, with the raiding, he goes off to raid, but he leaves Finny behind or goes off to have adventures. It's like, yeah. couldn't the couple go on the adventures and have some of the conflicts and all of those things that make a story interesting be external rather than so much of the conflicts in the story be because these characters have so much baggage issues that 
aren't ever really addressed, but are handled in such a way to where it's just the female character basically gets backed into a corner and must submit. And okay, never now everything's fine. Now that she's submissive. And you don't get the sense that, I mean, I guess once she submits, then she's safe, I guess guess that's what you're supposed to take away from that but you never feel like these guys are all that safe to begin with so it feels like they're always just one mistake away from well in most of their cases getting abused physically oh Mita has another awesome line (laughs) I highlighted this line um so the girls the girls are all having girl talk and talking about their men and how you know all the men are bossy Mm -hmm. Hans comes in and He's had this like romance, this weird off and on romance with Loretta. And he comes in and he tries to boss Loretta around. He basically grabs her off so they could go talk or whatever. And all the women are like looking at each other with knowing eyes, except Mita. And she says, it's my feeling that you females who allow yourselves to be caught by these overbearing men are quite mad. (laughs) Yes. Yes, you're right. You hit the nail on the head there, honey. And then Maddie kind of lashes out a little and she's all, well, when was the last time you got yourself some? And she goes, <laughs> got myself some. And Maddie clarifies, we're bedded. And she says, last night, Ruben, that was seven nights in a row. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I love her so much. She's amazing. <laughs> then Lon shows up to gather Cersei. And he says, oh, the young female at Carsfall approached me and requests your attendance at a party in her chambers, Maddie. I told her I'd have Xanon bring you. So Elon has asked Maddie to a tea party. And so Xanon takes Maddie up to the house. And as they're riding up, he tells her that she needs to talk to her (laughs) warrior and straighten things out. Is this another one of those, if you don't, if you don't buff him good, then he's going to take his anger out on other people. You're responsible for their safety. As Zanon says, warriors, women, no talk, warriors suffer. <laughs> Maddie goes to Elon's room and they have an awesome tea party and it's very cute and they have kind of a, you know, a moment. She gets like kind of a mother moment, sort of. And then she is heading down the hall um, to talk to Apollo because he heard she was in the house and sent word that, you know, when you're done talking to Elon, you need to come talk to me. And so she's heading toward his study and she overhears two maids talking about her living in the dower house and Apollo's situation. And we learn that Apollo's dad was married to a woman who was barren And so to get an heir, he took a mistress who he had live in the dower house. And that mistress was Apollo's mother. And Apollo was raised in the big house with his dad and the dad's wife and was only allowed to visit the mother sometimes. So that's pretty fucked up. But they're comparing that situation to Apollo having installed his mistress, Maddie, in the dower house. Yeah. Maddie takes all this in and then she realizes that Kristoff also heard all this because the door to his room had been open and he'd heard it. Maddie has a talk with him where she just, she kind of just apologizes. You know, I'm sorry I hurt you. You know, you're going to be an awesome grown up. You're an awesome person now. And 
I'm sorry. Because she's kind of decided she's going to leave. Yeah. She gets to the study. Apollo's like, come here. Maddie's like, no. And then Apollo apologizes to her. Yay! Good job, bunny. Yeah. She says, well, that's nice and all, but I want to talk to Valentine and get sent back to my world. And he says, you can't think I'd simply allow you to return to your world. Buddy, I thought we had some progress here. And he says, you're not safe in the other world. And she says, I'm not safe here either. And he says, what I said to you was out of line, but you're going to strike back by inflicting your own wounds on me. He's like, I was out of line doing that to you, but you're going to do it to me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And she's like, what you said was unforgivable, not cool. I'm not going to accept Paul's physical abuse only to come here and get verbally abused by you. I'm so glad she says that. Yeah. And he goes, I'm not him. And she says, you aren't. You strike out in a different way. Yeah. And he says, I apologized. And she says, he used to do that too. (laughs) And then she goes off on this tirade and she basically says, I was Paul's whore and now I'm your whore. (laughs) Sadly, that comparison kind of does stick. Yeah, she has all this negative stuff like she lived with Paul and Paul gave her all the nice things and used her as a punching bag and everything. What did she give Paul? She gave him her body. Mm -hmm. Now she's with Apollo. Apollo takes care of her and gives her all the nice things. What does she give Apollo? Her body. And she says that to him. She says, I don't have anything else to give you. All I have is my body. And Apollo says, that's not true. You know, there's things that she can do, but she doesn't feel like she has any self-worth. Right. She doesn't think she's good enough to get good things. But she does know that she needs better treatment. So yay. Yeah. And Apollo says that he made a mistake with Kristoff, you know, assuming that he could handle this emotional stuff on his own without an adult helping him through it. And he also made a mistake with Maddie because he forgot that even though she's got this strength of will, that she's broken and he has to handle her with care. And she says, I'm not broken. And he says, Dove, you're shattered. I know this because you think you're my whore. Hmm. What do you think about that line? Do you think... Either of them have a point in that. You know what I mean? I really struggle with the whole idea that she's broken because. Me too. Because she doesn't seem that way to me. I struggle with the idea of anyone being broken. You know? I mean, you're, you're not, you're not a, you're not a China plate. You're a human being. Exactly. You know? I don't know. She's a woman who had an abusive relationship, a horribly abusive relationship. She gets kidnapped And is put in a different type of abusive relationship, (laughs) which is hot and cold, Yeah, you know? And she reacts by wanting to leave and go off on her own and find her own way. And I don't think that makes her broken. That makes her strong. Yeah, I agree. I mean, she definitely needs therapy. Of course. All these characters need therapy. (laughs) Because she's got like that major cognitive dissonance going on, you know, with the negative self-talk and the thinking she's worthless and thinking... All she is is a body to fuck, but that doesn't mean she's broken. No. I kind of find it offensive, I think. Yeah, I can see why that's (laughs) offensive. What do you think? I think it's wrong to assume that just because a character has had a difficult backstory, you know, in which they were mistreated, violently mistreated by someone that, well, they are lesser, which kind of gets easily taken as broken. Because those experiences didn't strengthen you. They weakened you. 
I don't feel like those experiences did that for Maddie. You know, she's she's one of the stronger female characters in the series, you know, of the protagonists, I think. I think so. She's very strong. Yeah, she's probably, yeah, I think she's probably, of the, of the protagonists that we've met thus far, she's probably my favorite. She has the most agency. She does. She's the one I've, I find myself rooting for the most. With the other ones, it was like, no, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I did not like that about myself, but I'm rooting against their agency because it's like the joke you made before with the Mr. Grumpy Pants. Mr. Grumpy Pants won't like that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, don't do it. Don't say you're going to leave. Don't act like you have any kind of power. Yeah, it's going to make things worse for you. (laughs) With Cersei, it's like, no, no, don't. It's probably better that you don't actually, as much as I would love for you to embrace that magic and possibly get some self-worth, I think it would actually do you more harm because I I think that character, Lon, would find that threatening, which would not go well for her. No. I don't think. I don't think it would be a, oh, look, my tigress has claws. It would turn into, my tigress might leave me because now she has a sense of herself and she will realize how much she doesn't need me, therefore, clobber, clobber, clobber. Or not necessarily physically clobber her, but emotionally, verbally. So no, I liked Maddie the best thus far. I was rooting for her all the way. I don't think that that she is weak. I don't think that she is broken. I think if anybody's broken, it's Apollo. Perhaps he's the broken dove, frankly. I put that in my notes. (laughs) Great minds. (laughs) I mean, truly, I think you and I are both correct in that you know he's he is the damaged one yeah he is she needs help (laughs) granted but she is strong she is woman she is she is a lioness she is (laughs) you know we we talked about cersei's claws but you know what maddie had them she cut a guy yeah she did actually come to think of it cersei did too with the dagger but she was more assertive in her using them with Cersei, it was defensive. Yeah, Maddie has been proactive throughout, I think. And she's constantly going, well, no one wants me. I'm going to make a plan and take care of myself. Yeah, I I like Maddie. Yeah. As much as I dislike Apollo, I really do like Maddie. And I will, I will take a moment to say that in those times when Maddie was getting attacked and granted, you know, other other forces stepped in to make sure that she was okay... You know, she did defend herself a bit. But what I liked in those moments at the end when Apollo is rejoined with her, he hugs her. He doesn't give her crap. He doesn't hit her because he's scared or upset or anything. Maybe it's because too many witnesses. I don't know. (laughs) I don't have a lot of faith in these guys. Sorry. I actually was physically bracing that first time because I was like, oh my gosh, he's going to backhand her or push her or loom over her and she'll fall or you know like I was expecting that because of the previous books I think that's something that the author couldn't do in this book because of Maddie's backstory you know I think if Maddie hadn't had the abusive husband backstory then maybe he would have backhanded her yeah I am very grateful that she didn't have that moment there so anyway back to the story my little my other little tirade yes back to the story apollo says that he loves her 
she loves him back and then apparently that means everything is fine now (sighs) if they tell us everything's okay it must mean that it actually is okay then valeria shows up and wants to talk to apollo and frey and says that antoine has been murdered like he's been killed (laughs) i was poor franca Nobody else feels bad for her, but I do. I'm on Franca's side. They start to feel a little worried, I think, because they're like, well, now we're supposed to still trust Franca because Franca's kind of been their person on the inside at this point because she has a stake because of Antoine. Yeah, they actually do seem to feel a little bad for her, which I think is funny. And now they're like, is she still going to be our person on the inside? And Valeria says, well, they did torture and kill the only man she loved. So this is probably vengeance for her. (laughs) Yeah, because again, the dragons didn't work. So she had to watch her lover die right in front of her eyes as they're doing their hourly check-in or whatever. He just dies mid-torture or something, which is just terrible. And they're like, oh, well, now she lost someone, so I guess we trust her now, and we like her a little bit better, and oh, we feel bad for her. Where was that sympathy before? Where were were the fucks before? They were going to kill Antoine. I know! (laughs) (laughs) Now it matters to you? Let's see. Oh, um, Apollo has a little talk with Kristoff and it sounds like Kristoff's going to be more open to Maddie. And then it turns out that he gave Maddie part of his story to read. And so that's really cute and sweet. And it shows that Kristoff is kind of opening up. I know. That was so adorable. And then Maddie and Apollo have like a little talk where Maddie's like, I don't have anything to give you back still. And Apollo's like, you give me your heart. And she asks if that's enough. And he says, yes, obviously. They kiss and it's amazing. Then she looks at him and whispers, so this is what it feels like to not be broken. So apparently Apollo fixed her with his magical dick. (laughs) How lucky he had one of those lying around. (laughs) Now they're all off to find guard to attend the Bitter Gales, which is uh, where Finney's palace is. And they're all traveling there. Uh, During the journey, Apollo proposes to Maddie and she says yes. They get to Feingard. She meets the real Korra, who's awesome and amazing. And they also meet Queen Aurora, who's Finny's sort of mom, I guess. It's more more amazing female characters that aren't really focused on in the stories. And then they're all chit-chatting. We find out Finny is pregnant. Cersei is pregnant, Cora is pregnant, and then Maddie realizes she hasn't had a period in a while, and she's probably pregnant too. Which I sort of, in a weird way, was happy that she kind of got to figure this out without being told, like all the other women were. Yeah. Because the guy figured it out. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's because she's been on birth control this whole time. And when she wasn't on birth control, aside from that first time, Apollo has been using a sheath. And so she's either, she's had protected sex this whole time and she's gotten a period. She had a period since the unprotected sex. So she knew she wasn't impregnated from that. And so this is like birth control failure, essentially. Yeah. Exceedingly magical means considering apollo's happy of course of course which that's better than the alternative and so later they're all looking out the window 
and all of a sudden these missiles green cloud bursts start hitting the i guess there's like a magical dome over where they're at and so these things keep hitting the dome and the wolves are there and they're forming a perimeter around the palace and guards run in and make sure all the women are protected and the children are all in another room being guarded and everyone's freaking out and then this mist shows up so there's red mist blue mist black mist and bad mist (laughs) (laughs) so red blue and black mist shows up and it's swirling around uh maddie cora finney and cersei and the chicks all get disappeared yes oh no the villain is being villainous Yes, the men all start freaking out because, oh no, our women are gone. Valentine shows up. Franca's there. Oh, I forgot Franca was there. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone forgets about Franca. Her suffering doesn't matter. (laughs) Valentine shows up and asks Franca if she seeks vengeance and Franca says yes. And so Valentine grabs Franca and disappears her along with her. So she grabs Franca and they both disappear in green mist. The women, Maddie, Finney, Cersei, and Cora show up in like a cave thing. They're like in a cage in a cave. And they see a throne. And sitting on that throne is Paul. And snuggled up with Paul is Cora the Nasty. Yeah. Or Paul lifts up his hand and he has a metal hand now, which looks really heavy. And then Cora looks at them at the other Cora and she says, yours flawed, mine is perfect. She didn't like Tor because he had a scar, (laughs) but she likes Paul, even though he's missing a fucking hand. Here's the thing. You kind of get the impression through the story that the witches can manipulate people maybe because that's why you're kind of wondering why Derek is so off or Apollo is wondering yeah. So I'm wondering if they didn't actually mess with other Cora. I don't know, but other Cora's kind of gone around the bend, I or, feel. Yeah, maybe she snapped psychologically. And then Balder shows up and he looks at Cersei and he asks Paul, is that one mine? And Paul says, no, yours is yeah. coming. So apparently they're planning to capture the other Cersei. And Paul basically says, okay, well, we all know that you're all pregnant and we're going to steal all your babies and like portion them out to each of us. Which is just sick. I'm going to get your baby. sick and gross. (laughs) Yeah. And apparently all the babies are going to be magical. If once they kill Apollo's kids, then Maddie's baby will be able to command the wolves, I guess. Yeah, I... And Finny's baby will be able to command the dragons and elves. According to some, you know, is it legend or is it just someone has the ability of foresight? According to the witches. Then all the witches show up. And so you get the black smoke and the blue smoke and the red smoke and all the witches. And then Derek shows up behind the throne. Dun, dun, dun. Here's Derek. Is he good or bad? We don't know. You're wondering, why is Derek there? And then Lavinia gets thumped to the ground and she basically looks dead. Lavinia is one of the good witches. Ah, yes. There's so many characters at this point in the story. I kind of got a little lost. Yeah, there's a lot. And then Paul comes up and like grabs Maddie and 
he's obsessed with Maddie, I guess. Well, it's that ownership thing. Bad Cora is jealous. And she's like, what is this? And Paul says, oh, I'm just playing. He's like jealous because she was having sex with the other Apollo. And he says, I'll make you forget him. Cora, the quote horrible, is really upset and is like, what is this? What are you doing? Why are you so into her? And Paul says, there's enough of me to go around. And she says, I don't share. And Paul says, I say if you share or not. They have like a little argument or whatever. And Cora's like, no, I'm in charge. And Paul's like, no, you're not. And he bashes her head in with his steel fist. It's just. And she's dead now. (laughs) And then Paul looks at Maddie and says, look what you made me do. The outright murder of a kid. I mean, I guess she wasn't beloved for everybody. I liked her. But the outright just murder was a little shocking. I don't know why, but it was. Maybe because it was so abrupt. I mean, we know he's violent. And then she gets free from Paul and starts running toward the other women. And they're like, get close, grab my hand. And so they all are holding each other's hands. And Cersei says, think about your man. And so they all start thinking about their dudes. And then a ring of gold ice blue violet and poppy stripes shoots out from their huddle and slices through paul and balder taking them off their feet and then it explodes and there's multicolored sparks everywhere and it breaks the bars of the cage that they're all in they start running toward the door but then they open the door and franca is there she strolls in (laughs) all the women are like what is going on the witches are like oh what are you doing and she says, well, you shouldn't have killed my Antoine. And then she throws like a green thing. And then from the ceiling comes someone who looks like Tor, but is dressed in like modern style clothes. And he pulls out a gun <laughs> and shoots one of the witches. <laughs> and then as he gets ready to shoot Helda, Derek grabs Helda and slams her head into the arm of the throne and she passes out and then Lavinia wakes up and fights off all these little creatures that arrive and (laughs) it's a lot it's it's so strange to me because so much of the the books not a lot is happening to build yeah. up to this moment and then all of a sudden this moment happens and it's just like all of a sudden she grabbed i don't know every ingredient in the story and just threw them all in a bowl at once it was a little overwhelming <laughs> and then <laughs> apollo shows up and beheads the other witch and then lon kills balder yay <laughs> No one is sad about that. And then that. Tor kills Minerva. Yeah, they all have these beefs <laughs> with these witches and they all get to kill them. I'm so excited. Uh, but it's important to note that Helda isn't dead yet. She's just knocked out because Apollo grabs her. They all get brought back to Apollo's place and Apollo gives her to the wolves. Yeah, it was gross. The sickening sound. <laughs> and then Derek tells everyone that... Yeah, I pretended I was a traitor so that I could infiltrate them. And provide them with zero intel. Yeah, zero intel. But he was there to smack Helda's head on the throne, I guess. Yay. Or maybe maybe he's the one that told them the dragon's attack didn't work. Maybe. I don't even I'm know. being generous. I'm trying here. I'm really trying. 
And we learn Lavinia had actually been dead and she was resurrected by the elves. <laughs> Yay, elves. And there's this funny part where one of them asks Lavinia, how are you doing? And she's like, well, it wasn't fun being dead. <laughs> <laughs> and then we fast forward to a wedding and uh, Maddie and Apollo are getting married. Valentine gives Maddie back the diamonds that Apollo had paid for all this with so if you remember way way back in the beginning Apollo had given Valentine all these diamonds as a necklace to pay for her to bring Maddie there and she gives that to Maddie and says oh it was always yours I guess that makes up for dragging her twice they get married everything's happy we fast forward six months later all the kids are happy there's babies Maddie has a daughter who looks like her with red hair and freckles, and she names the baby Valentine. So she's forgiven her, I'm guessing. And that's the end. Yay, the end. Yay, it's over. (laughs) Celebration. Oh, wait, there's one more book. (laughs) Which is a little confusing at this point because it kind of feels like everything's wrapped up, but whatever. (laughs) So are you happy for their happy? (laughs) I'm happy that Apollo didn't hit her out of anger. It's grasping at straws. I know. (laughs) Maybe I don't understand what happy is or how to human or any of these things. But I'm just glad that that didn't happen. So that's what I'm happy about. (laughs) What about you? Are you happy for their happy? (laughs) Not really. I don't know. I. It's funny because they got so much you know, quote, screen time as a couple with the relationship building and getting to know each other and all that. But they're both like, just, I don't know. Like, I don't feel like they're happy yet. Like, I don't feel like we got there, but apparently we did. They're supposed to end up together and they did. So yes, this is where (laughs) I get confused with romances. (laughs) I just get, I, I struggle with this one because I mean, typically, yeah. And I, I mean, typically I'm happy that the characters are together, especially if they have like a lot of screen time where they're working on the relationship and getting to know each other and all this stuff. But I just don't know. It feels like it was a little Hmm. easy. And there's that whole scene where he fixed her and now she's not broken anymore. Or maybe he just pointed out that she maybe she realizes that she was never broken. Maybe it's a permission thing. She feels like she had to have permission to not be broken. I don't know. But it just, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. So I'm not especially happy. Yeah, I'm kind of, I don't know. When it comes to all of these couples, I'm a little bit like, they got together? Oh, yeah, they're supposed to. Okay. (laughs) That box is ticked. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Should we move on to our ratings? (laughs) Oh, sure. How did you rate Maddie from Awesome to Awful? I put kind of awesome. She did have the most agency she was proactive. You know, I didn't feel, I mean, despite the title and despite Apollo's you're broken thing, I never felt that she was, you know, she had some right. psychological things that she needed to address, like self-worth and and whatnot. But I I actually, as, as I stated, she's my favorite heroine thus far. Yeah. What about you? How would you rate Maddie? I put that she's resilient and cool. I was really happy she tries to stand up for herself and take back her power. And she she talks back to Apollo 
you know, like he tries to tell her what to do and she's like, no, I'm, I'm done with that. Yes. You know? Yeah. She asserts herself. And although she is kind of lucky that she ended up with Apollo, who seems to be one of the more permissive guys in this world. Gosh. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) She definitely needs therapy. Um, She definitely has some stuff to work through, you know, the negative self-talk and the lack of self-worth and all that. You know, she still, I think, still struggles with that. And I don't know, you can be told over and over again by people that that you're worth it and you're awesome and you're valuable. But until you actually tell yourself that, I don't think you're really over over the hump, you know? Do you think Maddie was just telling Apollo what he wanted to hear so that they could stop talking about it? <laughs> no, I think she actually thinks she's fixed. Oh, okay. Well, good for her then. <laughs> I don't know if she is, but she thinks she is. So we'll see. I mean, if the story kept going, we would see how fixed she really was. I guess it's a fake it till you make it sort of scenario. I rebel a little at the idea that, you know, uh, a lover can fix, you know, their partner. Like that just. Totally. Yeah. No, I'm I'm on that page with you. So what did you think about Apollo from awesome to awful? I don't know. I. (sighs) I feel like I need to preface this rating by saying that for me, like, the bar's super low with these books. I agree. I put, I was, I feel like I was super generous and I labeled him as awkward. You know, like, he wants to do the right thing, like, get her out of an abusive relationship, build up her self-confidence. He doesn't hit her. Yay. You know, doesn't rape her. Yay. You know, dubious consent. Okay. Maybe talk about the spanking first, given her background. But he, he seems like he yeah, genuinely wants... He's not trying to force his children on her when he see he sees and understands that she has issues with that. So I, I think he's trying to be a hero. I'm not sure how successful he is, but okay. What about you? <laughs> how, how would you rate him? In my notes, I put meh. (laughs) Um, It's hard because I don't want to compare him to the other heroes in this series because I want, you know, each hero to stand on their own merits or fall, you know? And so when when you compare him to the other guys, it's like, yeah, he's pretty awesome. You know, he lets her do what she wants mostly. (laughs) He doesn't hurt anybody. You know, he's got issues, but, you know, comparatively, they're not that bad. But if you look at him on his own, like if this was a standalone and I didn't read the other books prior, he's not that great. He does this thing where he like gives himself to her until she does something he doesn't like and then he withholds. Yeah. And I I hate that. Like that is just so manipulative and gross to me. Oh, it is. And it really, ugh. And I just... I don't know. He says she's the broken one. We touched on this, but this is what I, I put in my notes. It's like he has issues. He has this whole savior complex where he's going to, you know, he couldn't save his dead wife. So he's going to save her twin and give her all these things and keep her in a golden cage and make sure she's pampered and has a wonderful life and all these things. He wants to give her bigger and better and more. And not only that, but he wants to be reassured constantly that it's bigger and better and more. And I don't know. He, he quote, fixes her. It's just gross. I'm not into it. So, <laughs> meh. Poor Apollo. <laughs> what about the, 
What about the antagonists in the story? There were a lot of them, you know? I mean, there's a list of... My list is quite lengthy. So at least initially, Apollo's a bit of an antagonist. But that's kind of true with the series again. I put other Apollo because, ugh, other Korra. They treat Franca Franca like an antagonist, but I don't really feel like she is. You know, maybe she is a little bit, but I feel like, you know, if nothing else, their blasé attitude to, eh, your lover's going to die. I mean, yeah, she's the only one that's going to fight for that guy because clearly they give zero fucks. Yeah. Uh, I put Valentine under the the date rape thing, like the date rape drugging Maddie. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, that's, that is not women looking out for women. That's not anybody looking out for anybody. That's just Valentine bored, I guess, or something. I don't know. Helga, of course, Minerva, the Hugh Crows, Balder. You know, the list goes on and on. I'm not really sure how much effect these antagonists really had on anything because they're there, but like most of them, it's right at the end and it's for like two seconds before they get murdered by the heroes. Should we actually talk about the antagonists more? Do you have... I didn't really rate them so much because they're all kind of... I rated them meh. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's the standouts like other Apollo and his uh, like physically abusive stuff. He's kind of like door talk, you know, like... You know you hate that guy. And Balder, you know you hate that guy because he had to sleep with a 14-year-old. Yeah, but the thing is, is they're absent. Yeah. They, they're they there in the background and you only see them at the very end when they reveal their plot, which is apparently to steal the babies. Yeah. And then they all die. I kind of wonder, now that you actually <laughs> say that, if Valentine really isn't more of a bad guy because she wanted them to sleep together so bad. I've been kind of wondering through the series she if did. Valentine was evil, but she's never quite manifested that way. Yeah, I don't know. I think Valentine is meant to be kind of like a like a witchy Cupid. I mean, she has the name Valentine and she's constantly like, love is everything. Like, that's her catchphrase. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's because I don't buy her catchphrase too much. <laughs> At least where this story is concerned. Because like other Apollo and Door Talk, they basically just exist to make these guys look better. Yeah. Yeah, they do. How would you rate the book as a whole from one to five? I put three. I actually... Okay. Yeah, I actually... I've enjoyed it the most thus far of the series. I liked Maddie the best. The end was exciting. It was a little confusing. There were a lot of characters doing a lot of things and it was all kind of like shoved at you. I'd re-experience it. You know, I I feel like that's a crucial... Whether or not I would reread it again, I feel like the desire to do it is an important aspect to my rating system. I think... <laughs> I don't know if it's so much that I like this book or if it's more like I didn't hate it as much of the others. I'm not rating this book <laughs> that way because of the others. It's just... It's hard to... It's hard to view it on its own. It really is. But yeah, I'd give it a three. What about you? I also gave it three. Oh. Uh, For me, three stars means I, overall, it was fine. I liked it. It didn't, you know, shoot me into space or make me want to kill myself, but it was, (laughs) it was good. I will say though, that I was like, there were scenes that just seemed like really boring to me. Like I wanted more of the action-y bits, but all of that happened off camera. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but that that's kind of how it is with this series. It's like, oh, that's really interesting, but it's going on way the hell over there. I think the things that bumped it down for me were the things like, 
I wanted, if Maddie had to be fixed because she was broken, I wanted her to fix herself. Yeah. And I don't think she, she did. I think, you know, Apollo fixed her. Yeah, I don't think she actually had enough time on her own to address those things because she was denied her ability to leave. But I mean, overall, it was fine. It was good. It was, I liked it. Okay. <laughs> I think it's funny. You were looking at things to bring the score down and I was trying to bring my score up. <laughs> Uh, well, I kind of, it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I've read the book twice now because I read the book a little while ago and then I read it recently, right before we talked. Mm -hmm. And I rated it three stars after I first read it and I liked it. I'm like, oh, good. This is good. You know, but when I read it again, I think about it a little bit more critically because I know we're going to talk about it. I want to have things to say and, you know, and I look at what is actually happening in the story instead of just like going with the flow and I start to question my writing like is it really three I don't know like when I first read it it was three yeah so I'm going with that because I think I think the average reader you know they're gonna read it and go read it one time you know of course unless they love it and then they might reread it I guess yeah you know I want I want people to get my first impression you know my first impression was a three <laughs> so do you feel romanced I did not feel romanced. I I thought the sex in this book was exceptionally good. Like I really enjoyed it. And I kind of, I, I liked that part. It was hot, but it didn't feel romantic to me. I mean, Apollo is obsessed with giving Maddie more and better. And Maddie is obsessed with not being good enough for the more and better. And I just, ugh, like, yeah. no, maybe it just, Maybe it just hits home a little too much for me. I don't know. Like, I don't know. But the the feeling of like being not being good enough, you know, I wanted there to be a better conclusion to that storyline. And I didn't want the hero to fix her. And he doesn't really romance her. He throws a bunch of money at her <laughs> and then tells her she's perfect. To be fair, I don't know if any of the heroes really romance their heroines maybe tore a little bit because they actually have to do some working on the relationship in the second part of the book maybe him yeah and i mean really. there's plenty there's plenty of times when apollo will speak some like he'll bestow some pearls of wisdom like oh well to make this work we have to talk to each other and stuff and maddie's always like yeah he's so right but then they don't yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> what about you did you feel romanced uh no, but that's kind of it's kind of consistent with the series thus far. I just put that I shrug in this book's general direction. It's like, eh, it's fine. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> nah. I didn't hate this book as much as the other ones or dislike this one as much as the other ones, but I certainly don't feel romanced. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that I felt sad at the end, which is kind of how I was feeling about the other three. And maybe it's because there was a big fight scene. Maybe. Where it was... You got a little bit of relief there. <laughs> yeah. We're, I mean, and even then it's like, okay, all the couples are together. No one except Franca's lover really died. <laughs> <laughs> I I guess everything's fine and okay now. I know there's a fifth book. I don't know what... I'm genuinely confused what it's about because it feels like everything else is concluded. It does. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm I'm glad <laughs> Maddie had some agency, I guess. It sounds so yeah. sad. So yeah, I guess I Me too. I think that's probably one of the reasons this book was given a three rating was because at the end I wasn't sad, which is 
Fair. I think that's kind good. of where I was at the end of all the other three books. <laughs> <sighs> so what else have you been reading? So right now I'm reading Astrophysics for People in a Hurry by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Okay. And it's also read by him if you decide to read the audiobook. So in the intro, I love this line. Tyson says, the universe is not under any obligation to make sense to you. And I'm like, <laughs> that feels really close to home. Yeah. So thankfully for being a person in a hurry, uh, Tyson wrote this book, which is concise in its chapters, describing the the laws of, of nature, the universe, etc. There's humor and facts and delicious anecdotes I find sometimes the cosmic comparisons, you know, where he's putting essentially space into context. It's mm-hmm. it's so tricky because space is just, I mean, this this will sound incredibly intelligent. Brace yourself. But space is just so huge. Like, it's it's just mind boggling. Like, how how can we understand anything? But I'm enjoying the read. I'm learning a lot. I don't know if I'll retain it. What about you? What are you reading? <laughs> so I'm currently in the middle of Battleground by Jim Butcher, which is book 17 of the Dresden Files series. Woo-hoo! Yeah, Dresden Files is one of my go-to series. Like anytime a new Dresden Files book comes out, I'm like, ooh. <laughs> this one, it almost feels like the second half of the prior book, which was released not all that long ago either. Okay. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a bad thing. Like, typically, Butcher will write, like, typically these books, you know, they all link together, and you definitely want to read the series in order, but each book seems to be, like, a complete story. But in this one, it's like, this is the second half of a book. So I kind of wonder if Butcher wrote, like, an extra long book, and then his publisher made him cut it in two. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Um... Yeah, yeah. So you definitely want to read both books close together. But this one, it's really good because the because we've had all the build up in the prior book, and in this book, he's getting ready to fight this Titan, which is basically a god like being that has come to um, subjugate humanity. And so this is like the biggest, baddest monster he's ever had to fight, Ooh. and. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. He's changed a lot as a character throughout the series. At the beginning of the series, a lot more human. Um, Now he's a lot more uh, supernatural, I guess. And if you don't know what the series is about at all, for readers who don't, or for listeners who don't know, um, Harry Dresden is a private investigator slash wizard who works in Chicago and he solves uh, supernatural crimes and mysteries and things like that. At least that's how the series starts out. So it's good. I would recommend it. I recommend the series as a whole. And if you do want to read Battleground, you definitely want to read um, the other books first. Yeah, but the, the audiobooks are narrated by um, James Marsden. Spike! So you might like those. <laughs> I have them on my incredibly lengthy to read list if I only had more time. <laughs> there are not enough hours in the yes. day. There really aren't. All right. So I guess that's it for the day. Uh, check out our website, romancemepodcast.com, for show notes, other episodes, and our upcoming reads. And I just want to make a note that our podcast is now available on both Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Join us next time when we discuss Midnight Soul by Kristen Ashley.
Bye. Bye.